Bhumagyanatmirandasya Gyananjana Salakaya Chaksurun Militam Yena Tasmai Sri Gurve Nama Sri Guri Vaishnava Guru Parampara Ki Jai Sri Bhakti Rakak Sri Dadi Goswami Maharaj Thirubhava Mahamosvatiti Ki Jai Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai Gaur Pimanande So we're gathered for the evening in memory of Bhakti Raksakshila Dev Goswami Marsh and his, uh, the day of his departure from the world. We have a very short uh, explanation of his own devotional beginnings in his own words that I'd like to read. Pujapachita Marsh says, I like sacrifice in life, the magnanimous side. I had affinity for Lord Ramchandra, for the model pastimes, but not so much for Krishna, because in his Vrindavan Leela, I could not accommodate why God should be a liar and a girl hunter. I could not accommodate this. Though I saw Radha Murtis, they seemed to be very charming. I found some mystic background there, but on the surface, I had more liking for Ram than Krishna. This is fairly common in India. Ram is the model of piety. His leela is called Mariada. So it means that he has very good behavior, ideal standards for human being, too ideal. Ram's too, too morally correct, enough to break your heart. But nonetheless, it's easier to often to relate to that manifestation of divinity than it is to Krishna. Pujapadshita Marsha is emphasizing the fact that he was attracted to sacrifice, giving, magnanimity, and so forth. And Krishna epitomizes the antithesis of this, the enjoyer. He's depicted as almost like a playboy, if you will. He calls him here a girl hunter, a liar thief. He always seems to be breaking the, the laws. Of course, it's important to note, and a fellow, and I mentioned this before, but a fellow challenged us that Christ embodies sacrifice and Krishna embodies enjoyment. And therefore, Christ is a better example of the divine than Krishna, because sacrifice is more divine, because giving is more divine than taking. Indeed, giving is considered to be the getting. As much as we attach getting to our giving, we're not really really giving. But I explained to him that if there is a giving and sacrificing end or side, there has to be a taking side also. So if we are to give perfectly, two things must be in place. We must give without any expectation of return. But in order to do that, we have to find the perfect object to repose our giving propensity within, one that is to say that can take unlimitedly the center, in other words. Just like if we were to repose our energy for nourishing the body, the food energy in the stomach, what will happen? It will be digested and that energy distributed to all parts of the body in a way that no other part of the body can do. So if the other parts of the body want to go on strike and say, why should we give to the stomach? 
let's keep the food for ourselves. Then they will all dwindle and die. So there is a center, and the center is depicted in the Vedanta and in the Gaudiya Vedanta as the enjoyer, which says loudly to us that the circumference, which is held together by the center, is all sacrificing and giving to the center. So we are the giving agents, and Godhead is in its most perfect expression, most complete expression, the taker. But taking in such a way, because he actually is the center, that all the entire circumference is held together, and every, every part is nourished. Like the tree, if we pour water on the leaf, the flower, it won't have the same result as if we pour it on the root. This example is given in the Bhagavad. So, if there's a sacrificing end, and there should be, there has to be an other end. Krishna, the depiction of Krishna by the mystics, the experience of Krishna by the mystics, is the experience of the center, the enjoying side. And we are to adjust ourselves in serving mood and sacrificing disposition to approach there. There's a pusher, so to speak. There's a, if we were to speak about it magnetically, then Krishna is the positive magnet and a big one. We are a magnetic flake by comparison. If we try to assert ourselves with a positive charge, then what will happen? There will be repelled across the other side of the universe. But if that tiny little flake positions itself with a negative charge, and I mean that in a positive sense, then very quickly to be drawn in to the center. So this is our side. Krishna is the other side, the enjoyer. But it may take a little time to appreciate that, given the way that he is depicted. And Sridhar Maharaj is openly saying here, he himself had a little hard time digesting the Krishna idea of Godhead. But, as we'll hear, my attraction to Krishna first came through Bhagavad Gita. Now, now here, is a, here is Krishna, but here is Krishna as the state, in the Gita, he's the statesman, he's not a playboy there. He speaks the Upanishads. Thou art that, Tattvamasi, and so forth. Bhagavad Gita is also called Gita Upanishad. Upanishad means to come and sit close. Literally, the implication is so that I can tell you a secret. So secret kind of wisdom, a whisper in your ear. So knowledge, here Krishna is the statesman in the Gita. He's speaking eternal wisdom to Arjuna. So he's first, Sridhar saying, attracted to this representation of Krishna. There was a movement in India at one time that sought to do away with the Bhagwat Purana's description of Krishna and his pastoral leelas with the milkmaids and the, and the cows and stealing milk and butter in his childhood and all such things and to label it as interpolation and something that's not part of revelation, something made up and so forth in a, in a, in a human mind, whereas the Gita Krishna was the real Krishna. So Indian people even had a hard time, especially a hard time understanding Krishna in light of Victorian England, which ruled over India for what, a couple hundred years. Their sense of morality and, and so forth being such that morality was this, really the sum and substance of religious life. And here Gaudiya Vaishnavism very strongly recommends that morality is only a provisional, it's, it's provisional, it's, it's for people who 
can't control themselves, so to speak. So he said last night we're coming out of animality into into human life. We were just animals. We've moved like from a cow to a human, from a tiger to a human, something like that. And we carry a little bit of that animality with us, so much so that our the force of our minds and senses demands for interaction with sense objects, for exploitation, for taking, and so on, sometimes overtake our intelligence and subordinate our intelligence to the demands of our senses, that our intelligence simply works to find bigger ways and better ways to take, to exploit. This is not the purpose of intelligence, because if it is, then what's the point, as I said the other night, of saying humans are different from animals because they have reason? (laughs) What's the difference? We just do the same thing with more force. We become more dangerous. So intelligence is for something else. Reason is for something else. And reason is for this purpose. Reason is for reasoning that in human life we have the chance to give, to do something voluntarily. The freedom that is part of the self, that is part of the makeup of the self, minute as it is, has a chance to express itself. In human life we can do something voluntarily. We could say, no, you first. We love our cows, but we, I never saw one of them say, no, you go first, Shamu. <laughs> no, Daniel, you, you go. You. <laughs> hmm. But we can do that. That means what? We can give. We can sacrifice. We can love. Sacrifice is the, is the mother of the womb from which love is born. So the purpose of human life is for loving. And that's really what makes us different from other species of life. If we use our intelligence, we can come to that conclusion. Otherwise, just intelligence or just reasoning power is not sufficient to distinguish us from the lower species of life because, after all, as I say, we may use it just to become a bigger and more dangerous animal. So, to use it properly, and use it properly means to use it in conjunction with revelation, with that om, that affirmation, yes, your sense that we talked about last night, that your you are more than what meets the eye, that there is more than what meets the eye, I can be more than what I, my present situation seems to dictate. You know, it's said that young people speak about changing the world, and old people speak about how the world has changed them. Well, this teaching is about staying young. That's what it's about. It's about changing the world. In other words, it's about overcoming rising above the restrictions that nature places upon us. Our humanity is our opportunity for freedom and it's our containment as well. How you use that, like I said, if you're on probation, if you use it well, then you become free. If you don't use it well, well, there are many other... There's another sentence in another cell. There are trees... There are animals, insects, there are many forms of life you could better inhabit, be more suited to inhabit. So, precious opportunity, great uh, inheritance, if you will, human life, how you spend it will, will determine whether you're wealthy or not. So, the giving tendency, the tendency, the capacity to love, we have that in human society, that is to be honed. And as I say, to hone it means to make it without motivation, forgetting, And in order to do that, find the center where I can repose that. So, Krishna, but not easy to detect. As I say, the British thought, you know, morality was, you know, queen with the belt on, you know, the 
chastity belt. But, but this is the sum and substance of spirituality. We're saying that morality is a provisional thing to check our tendency towards animality. But if that tendency of taking can be uprooted, then you can do anything. Because the problem is not what you do, the problem is how you do it, is what the, the motivation behind it. The famous statement from Gopal Tapani, the gopis asked Krishna how they could cross the Jamuna, get to the other side, to meet Durvas, the sage. They wanted to bring him some sweet rice and get a blessing from him that they could get a good husband, Krishna. They wanted to marry the absolute. He said, well, just tell him, just say this, Krishna's a brahmachari and the Jamuna will let you pass. And they said, what? We were just dancing with Krishna all night in the forest. And he's a brahmachari. Brahmacharis don't do that. Monks, in other words, it means a monk. He would. So, anyway, this is the point here, right? It's all in the motive. It's all in, it's all a question of desire. So, Gaudiyavashtam is very much about interacting with the world, but not with the taking, taking spirit. So in Gita, anyway, he seems more, more of a giver, less of an enjoyer. So some of the people in, in India at the time, the British occupation, in other words, the British, when they looked at Indian theology, Indian religion, Hinduism in particular, and they came to Vaishnavism within the different sects of Hinduism, they thought, here we have found the closest thing within Hinduism to the real religion, which they thought was, of course, Christianity, because it was theistic, it talked about giving and so forth. But when they came to the Bhagavad Purana, they thought, oh, here, here all goes to hell here. It's, and they brought this Krishna as a god, you know. And so some of the Hindus were intimidated by that. There is a movement to do away with the Bhagavad Purana and just present a more Christ-like Krishna, if you will, <laughs> as we find him in, in the Gita, more noble, you know, giving the truths and, and so on and so forth. Bhaktivinoda Thakur, of course, he um, had something to do with re-establishing not only India, but reaching out beyond India and um, making the case for Krishna of the Bhagavad Purana, the, the enjoyer conception and so forth, and its divinity. He wasn't intimidated by that. And that, of course, on the strength of Mahaprabhu. So here Sridhar says, my first attraction for Krishna came from the Bhagavad Gita and then through Mahaprabhu, Sri Chaitanya. Krishna himself appearing in the mood of the sacrificer, in the mood of Radha. I liked Ram for his magnanimity. I was mainly attracted by the self-giving ideal. So then I liked Radharani very much. I liked Mahaprabhu very much. But my attraction for Krishna was less. My attraction to Krishna came through Mahaprabhu and through Radharani from her side. When I was nine or ten or so, there was a temple where Radha Krishna deities were installed in uh, Jagadanandapur, near Katwa. Every year in Kartik month, my father used to read Srimad Bhagavatam there. Sometimes I visited the, that temple with him, and I found some mystic atmosphere there. It seemed very mystical to me. When I was a student in the fourth year at Krishnanath College, I came into connection with a younger boy who had just passed articulation and was newly admitted to, into the college. In the college, I found that there was a small section of students who were addicted 
to some type of meditation and worship, etc. And there was another group that did not care for worshiping. They liked the service of patience, to do good for the public, but I have an internal nature for both. I was a fourth-year student, and that boy was a first-year student, three years gap. I found that he was given to both sides very intensely, taking the name of the Lord sometimes very loudly like a madman, and also doing Sandevandana every morning three times a day, doing the Gayatri and so forth, meditation. At the same time, when there was any patient, he would engage himself in their service, even neglecting to attend the college class. Both sides, social service as well as worship, were combined in him. Before this, when I was in school, I got a book where it was mentioned that if we can go on with japa, or meditation on the name, or excuse me, meditation of Gayatri, 432 times daily, we can have a very good spiritual improvement. So I practiced that for some time. At that time, I tried my best to understand the revealed truth without consulting any dictionary or grammar. I had heard that Gayatri is conscious, spiritual, not dead words. So if I go on with the japa of Gayatri itself, it will express its meaning and purpose. I approached it with that attitude, and I used to feel some light coming from the words of Gayatri itself. I had some knowledge about that for some time. And of course, we know that eventually one of the precious uh, jewels, really, of the treasure house of our lineage was presented by him, drawn from that chest, and presented by him to all of us in the form of his commentary on Gayatri Mantra, where he drew out the deepest uh, possible meanings from that. So he got a little bit of light as he said in his modesty here, from that practice. And of course, then later in the service of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, he wrote the commentary on Brahma Gayatri. He says then further, I tried to associate with that boy. His name was Sri Suresh Bhattacharya. He came from a Brahmin family of Faridapur. The founder of the Brihat Sevashram, Sri Prabhupada was from his village, famous person of the time. One day, we two were going on a morning walk and also cleaning our teeth with small twigs. He referred to his father with the expression, that gentleman, and I took exception. Why do you use this expression when speaking about your father? What is this? You say, that gentleman. He said, yes, I have committed a wrong. I shouldn't have spoken in this way before you, but really it is like that. That gentleman, he was a gentleman, and... In this life, I came to him, and he has protected me for some time, and in the next life, I shall go to some other place, have some other father. In this way, we are moving hither and thither, coming to some gentleman, and from there, to another gentleman. Although I gave opposition, that point hit me very hard. I began to think, yes, it is true. We are in the midst of father, mother, brother, or as he said, that gentleman. What real connection have I with them or they with me? We are all almost like strangers. Thinking and thinking on this point, the whole world became as vacant to me. I felt a furious atmosphere with no, sh no shelter to take anywhere. 
a chaotic position, and I have no position of stability, I thought. Where from am I coming? Where to go? How long am I to stay here, this point in the infinite? I am an uncertain point in the whole of the infinite. A great shock came to me in this way, and that was a great turn in my life. The worldly achievement has no value. I was studying, a fourth-year student. I was to appear in a few months for the final examinations. My friends then were alarmed, seeing my position. What are you doing? You are neglecting your studies. How will you be able to pass? Your father is spending money for your education, and you're not rich. In this way, they tried their best to help me, but I couldn't concentrate on any book of study. They said, if you can't do so, we shall read. You try to hear. At that time, my friend gave me some literature on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's life and teachings, and I devoured it like nectar. I found some position there. It is not that I am nowhere. He is the support, the basis, the foundation. I found here the substance, sustenance, hope, and shelter I needed. In this way, I began to read and read. My very nature was that whatever I read, I read scrutinizingly. It may be slow, but my reading is more or less very accurate and representing the true aspect. I could also hear very clearly, even without reading, Acute hearing was also part of my nature. Whatever I heard, I could grasp the very purpose and keep it within me. And here also, by thorough reading, I found my life, my future hope, everything. I was converted. In my mother's family, there was some recognition of Sri Chaitanya Dev, but my parental family was orthodox smartas. They hated the followers of Chaitanya Dev. Chaitanya Dev has created the chaotic society, they thought. Pests that cannot keep their own stand in the social position. It is they who go to follow Chaitanya. Because Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was a social kind of reformer and he, he accepted people from what was the, all castes and so forth, all sections of society, anyone could come. In fact, the leaders of his sect were so-called outcasts and so forth and so on. In the case of Namacharya, Haridas, Thakur, and for all intents and purposes, Rupas and Atan, Goswamis as well. Those who have lost their social position become Vaishnavas, and they say that they are followers of Chaitanya. This is how his family thought. If they have no position in society, they just call themselves followers of Chaitanya, and they think they've gone somewhere. This is a testimony to the, to the status of the Chaitanya Sampradaya at the time. In my father's family, they held such a hatred. But after this, I became fully converted into a follower of Chaitanya. Such a feeling came in me, not only intellectually, but in heart and mind also. And I underwent a wholesale conversion. So this is just a short part of a more lengthy uh, explanation of his own experience in life and coming to and participating in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So we are fortunate to hear this um, candid type of explanation of his experience. These are the things that we we seek by sub- submission and service that Guru will, re- will reveal something intimate about himself, much to be drawn from this. We heard this morning, of course, a wonderful glorification of Pujapat Sridhar Maharaj by Om Vishnupad, Bhaktivedanta Swami, Prabhupada, they were very uh, close, dear to one another, and um, 
So we are very fortunate to be connected with both of them. I cannot tell you how astounding it was to me to have met Prabhupada and the feeling as if I had met an old friend who had known me forever and come to collect me up. And I could not imagine that I could ever meet anyone else like that, that anyone could uh, influence me to the measure, to the extent that he did, transforming my life in, in every way and just compelling me by his example, by his words, into oceans of service and sacrifice and so forth. And I was able to understand his words. I was, uh, some of you know, very well read in his books. Uh, my service was only to see to the circulation of those books and to read those books. That was the only service I had in his his mission. Not even time for worshiping the deity, practically. I wrote to him about it once, and I said, you know, I'm so busy with this, wherever I go, there's no opportunity to worship the deity, and I have some attraction. So I asked him if I could get a little deity of Chaitanya and Nityananda Prabhu and worship them. So he wrote to me, yes, and you can keep them in a little chest and you worship in the morning and then put them in the chest and go out all day and circulate the literature and, and so forth. But practically no time for that. And those deities are here, of course, on the altar. And so that's what we did, myself and some others. We read the books and we circulated the books widely. We were very fortunate to be absorbed in this, shravanam, kirtanam, and it fostered smalanam, meditation, deep internal uh, reflection, absorption, and so forth. And so having digested so much of the literature and so forth, I had a good command to speak it, to turn people's heads in the direction of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, turn other devotees' heads in the direction of a, of a greater commitment and sacrifice to the mission and so forth, I was accustomed in that way <laughs> to being able to, with such a command and so forth. So then with the disappearance of Prabhupada and, and meeting, coming in touch with the words of Sridhar Maharaj, it was, it was further astounding to me as it was when I met Prabhupada, how he turned my head and all the verses that I knew, and he gave so many of them new meaning to them, new insight. I was thinking about it today, I don't know how to describe it, but the very uh, two types of uh, transformations took place within me due to contact with Prabhupada and Sri Dharmarsh. And I really am a composite of these two influences. I thought I was doing well by the influence of Prabhupada, <laughs> but by the influence of Sridhar Marsh, then I had got like, uh, I don't know how to describe it, and it, uh, my way of thinking actually changed. My whole way of, my way of thinking, my preoccupation didn't change, but my way of thinking, reflecting on it, and so forth. So, I'd have to think more to be able to articulate what the, you know, what the two, to describe the two influences, but I'm very much a composite of that, and you all here, are both uh, are influenced by by both of these uh, great uh, personalities, either directly in the case of some of us here, or or through myself. So we're very very fortunate to find a 
initiating guru like Prabhupada was a very extremely rare opportunity. And then to find the siksha, further instruction, that would help that seed of diksha, of initiation, the mantra, to unfold and to blossom, to find that, that kind of instruction from a person who was so close to the Diksha Guru. I mean, as we heard this morning, they lived together in Prabhupada's house for six years. Prabhupada said that, we heard this morning, that he is senior to me, in age and experience. Prabhupada Bhakti Siddhanta, our Guru, the Guru of both of them, wanted him to train me, instruct me. For He once told another of my Gavadars, Prabhupada, that everything I learned, I learned from Sridhar Maharaj. That's where Prabhupada got his education for preaching when they lived together in Sitakanta Banerjee Lane in Calcutta after the departure of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. Prabhupada was hosting him there. He was preaching and they were writing Bhagavad Gita commentaries together. So, I mean, to find a, a guide and instructing guru after the disappearance of one's guru is, is very, you know, very good fortune. And that to find one who's so suited for that, who knew him personally, who had such affection for him, had such regard for his work and so forth, and was so capable then that he was actually the Siksha Guru of Prabhupada, but never thinking of himself at the same time in that way. Although this is, of course, what Prabhupada, how Prabhupada thought of him and how he introduced him to us. And he thought, oh, I am just doing some little service to assist in some way. He's brought these people. Such a good friend, he said. He always tried to drag me out for preaching. Now after his departure, he's dragging the whole world to my doorstep, forcing me to come out and speak to them. He had a more of an inward nature. Prabhupada had much more of an outgoing nature for outreach. Prabhupada was very possessed for that. And Tridomars, as he said here, liked to read very carefully and he would think about some shlokas, some verses, just think about them over and over again, preoccupy himself in this way. Prabhupada really did draw him out through the enthusiasm of some of us who went to hear from him. He himself said that so many things have come out that in my life I have never said the enthusiasm that's been generated in you uh, by, by Prabhupada. All this is coming down. Wonderful, precious, valuable jewels from the treasure house of uh, Gaudiya Siddhanta. So we are very uh, fortunate. Of course, I had a personal relationship with Prabhupada and, and, and we all did, our, his disciples, but I mean, I, not everybody spoke with him, not everybody got a letter from him, not everybody got personal instruction from him and so forth. I had a good fortune of of that to an extent. Prabhupada would chuckle at me when he saw me often. <laughs> I could understand why. <laughs> he would chuckle at and just kind of laugh. <laughs> and uh, often ask me questions, what people were saying about what arguments they were giving that we would have to deal with and so forth. But at the same time, even while I had some more close contact with Prabhupada, he was had a big mission with many, many students and he was moving all over the world and so forth. And so it wasn't easy to get 
that close to him, and there was he was surrounded by a fair amount of of reverence, a certain uh, side of the tattva, the phenomenon of the guru, guru tattva, was prominently manifest in him. Sakshadhari, Tehena. The manifestation of the God had inspired some reverence. Not that we didn't have affection, it melted our hearts, but the opportunity to interact with him intimately was not as much available. I kind of, myself, personally, I kind of forced it by forcing myself, you know, breaking the rules and going on the walks with Prabhupada when we were told not to and so forth. But my point, anyway, I'm leading to is that in the good company of Sridhar Marsh, we had the opportunity to associate much more um, intimately and casually with him. He took the role of an uncle. The uncle, one can be a little more intimate, actually, with the uncle. Father's a little more stern. And the uncle loves the nephew, too, but he doesn't get to be as close as the father. So when the son grows up and wants to be a bigger, more than a child, which the parents always want to keep him as, then he gets, he goes to the uncle. Like when Krishna wanted to start herding cows, then he was found to be associating with Upananda and his father's other brothers, more so than with his own father. So Nanda Maharaj was curious, all of a sudden, all this affinity for the, for my brothers, for, the, for his uncles, What's going on? Because he had something he couldn't tell his father. He wanted to. He wanted to get on with his life, get out of the house, and go and herd cows, which was the, his dharma and so forth. And of course, the uncles were very pleased to have him, so they entertained. Yes, very good. Yes, you, God, you should do that, right? Nanda Marsh came and said, "What's going on here? How suddenly my son is more intimate with you than his own father?" So they told. The time has come. He's got to get out of the house now. He's got to be a man, something like that, and herd cows. So often this is the case then. So the association with Sridhar Maharaj was a great opportunity to grow. The disappearance of Prabhupada was a great calamity for us, but we learn from the Gita that this calamity is basically the influence of time, and time is the hand of God. So, evam paramparapatam imam rajarshevavidu sakalena mahata yoganashta parantapa. Parampara, this word fosters a static kind of sense. It means one after another in line, a chain, one handing the teaching down to another, to another, to another, intact, without changing, without dropping it. Just one after another. But in the same verse I'm citing, another word comes, kal. Kal means time. So, this one after another is coming because of the influence of time. And time means change. So time means then dynamic. So from there's a static aspect of the parampara and there's a dynamic aspect of it. Time mandates, like we heard in Bhagavatam yesterday, that Sutta was glorified by the sages. What? Oh, you have a long life and you've been blessed like that. We've gathered here to hear from you. Please speak to us in easily... You have the capacity to explain in easily understandable terms all that you have learned previously, the essential message. As I said, this requires realization, to explain it in easily understandable terms according to the time and the place and the circumstance and so forth. So this is the dynamics. Time creates the necessity for a dynamic idea 
notion of the Guru Parampara, and it has its static side as well. So both. It's one, same teaching, and it's different at the same time. So we had that kind of experience coming to Sridhar Maharaj. It was one he is coming after, in a sense, to us, and but very different also in his presentation, according to the time and circumstances. The time was Prabhupada's departure. So this time, what is time? I like to say, time is, Krishna says in the Gita, I am time. So time is the hand of God. So time makes this arrangement. The problem is, by the influence of time, the teaching may become lost, distorted. So Krishna makes an arrangement that's called parampara, one after another, he sends another. He takes pleasure in identifying another. And it is he, time, that causes the one to leave. So he takes one, he cannot tolerate the absence, uh, the separation from one. One speaks enough about Krishna with enough sincerity, enthusiasm, and love and affection in the world. Krishna's going to cover his mouth and bring him into his fold. And also, two-sided, for the sake of having him in his inner circle and for the sake of recognizing another devotee and showcasing him or her to the world. So this is time's arrangement. So this is what happened historically in Gaudiya Vaishnavism in modern times in terms of its being circulated beyond the borders of India and being given new life through the the dynamic insight, for example, of Bhaktivinoda, Bhakti Siddhanta, how Prabhupada came, went all over the world and distributed this, shared this lineage and so forth. At the time of his disappearance, then, he was succeeded in terms of the, the magnitude of his mission and so forth by Bhakti Rakshakshidharadev Goswami Rashi. He is the successor of Srila Prabhupada, in case you were wondering <laughs> who was his successor. That's his successor. And as he himself said, Sridhar Maharaj, that succession is... He said the same thing, static and dynamic. It's one after another, but it, it's a line, but it moves in a crooked way. It's a line, but it goes over here, and sometimes it goes over here. And so he was senior to Prabhupada, and he was Prabhupada's teacher, in a sense. They both had the same guru, but in the context of their service to their guru, Sridhar had a teaching relationship. He was senior in age and experience, as we've heard from Prabhupada this morning in his own words. But then Prabhupada, what he did with that, that says something about him. He went all over the world, and such a wide circulation, to bring such notoriety to uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and so forth. Sri Dhamar just in, enjoying that immensely, that campaign, thinking he had done his part. But in the end, then, that campaign came to his doorstep for further nourishment in the absence of their great... Uh, general and so forth. Not everybody was able to take advantage. And that is the that is a great shame in one sense, I guess. But the ways of God are difficult to, you know, to understand. It it has brought out other people. It is it has brought out myself, at least in my own estimation, my understanding and, and so forth, and, and, and an opportunity to serve in a way that I perhaps would not have otherwise, a way that put me in a great necessity, great dependence, and so forth. Because coming to Sri Dharmarsh, the natural and self-effulgent successor of Prabhupada, and as I say, so competent to be the successor, knowing Prabhupada personally, affectionate there, the 
godbrothers, but not only godbrothers, he had many godbrothers, but they lived together for six years. Prabhupada knew his family and so forth, and they're both Bengalis and so well suited a teacher himself of Prabhupada, so well suited. It's such a perfect fit. It's just inconceivable. Fortune to have that. And that it would be missed by so many, that connection, that reality. Prabhupada more or less taught us that he will be succeeded by someone who's self-effulgent. And there he was. And many people were trying to be the successor and making sure there was enough light shining on them. There were enough fans fanning, enough bumper stickers and buttons and so forth. Remember, I'm the successor. <laughs> Don't forget. <laughs> that was an unfortunate time. But meanwhile, in tattered cloths, not silks and uh, no fancy seat and so forth, huh? tattered cloth and unfinished moth and having lived for years there without not even enough money to, to get enough rice in Bengal. I mean, that's, <laughs> this is the Bay of Bengal, you know, there's just rice growing everywhere there. They couldn't get enough rice sometimes to have a square meal at the moth. He was too preoccupied with his own inner life and those who came to surround him, his students, they had to live with that. Govindamars told us uh, at times his, his own successor in his student life that it was so difficult at the moth sometimes that he just wanted to leave. They said they didn't, couldn't get enough rice. Before he left, he would go and ask the trees at Chaitanya Saraswatmat for permission to leave. They were all said to be wish-fulfilling trees, but none of them would give permission, so he stayed. <laughs> and so, kind of invisible in a way, not overtly a great person. Bhakti is hard to understand. I said before that our material life runs on two tracks. We try to exploit and take, and being dissatisfied with what we get from taking, and with ourself sometimes from being a taker, we say, I'm not going to do that again. It's unbecoming. It wasn't pleasant. I took and I got indigestion. So we take and then we renounce. It's called boga and tag, taking and renouncing, karma and gyan. And these are the two tracks that our life runs. And we come into the stream then of bhakti, which is not taking, it involves some taking and some renouncing. If it's favorable for Krishna, I will take it. If it's not favorable for bhakti, I will renounce it. So these two tendencies are harmonized in bhakti. But in Shuddha bhakti, in pure bhakti, the taking tendency, karma, or the gyan tendency cannot get the upper hand. But we come from these two tracks. So we come into the stream of bhakti, but sometimes we gravitate towards understanding it from a karmic perspective or from a gyan perspective. And then we think the more renounced and austere one is, the more they're a bhakta. The more the devotee has things, the more he must be a devotee. There's people around him. There's buildings. There's books. It's big. There's acquisition. I'll join over there. It's happening over there. Something like that. There are things over there. It's not really out of bhakti, but because there's things, I'm going there. Or the gurus, or someone is, the idea of renunciation. So we find that they're fasting and 
identifying with extremes that makes the heart of renunciation, to make the heart harder. Bhakti is for making it softer. The real adhikar, eligibility for bhakti, means you can't be too prone towards renunciation nor too prone towards enjoyment. It means a little bit of on both sides. It's the middle path, the middle way. So, hard sometimes then to understand what is real bhakti. Here she is just sitting there at this moth, can't even get enough rice, to, no, not a lot of people around and so forth. And so he might be overlooked. But Prabhupada shed, shined a light on him. He said, yeah, you might go there if you're interested in the teachings after my departure. You could go there if the necessity arises. And of course it did. And some were able to go and they were able to shed light on Sridhar Maharaj and then by that encourage others to go and sit at his feet and be nourished. But it, again, the opportunity was not taken advantage of by everyone. But this is the fact, historically. Sridhar Maharaj is the successor of Prabhupada in terms of his worldwide campaign, the worldwide outreach of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And those who unfortunately went against him out of their own self-interest and so forth. They represent a shadow, really, of what uh, Gaudiya Vaishnavism as a, as a lineage is really about. So we should be proud, and uh, in, a, in a good way, in a spiritual way, proud to be humble followers of Bhakti Rakshakshita Dev Goswami Maharaj and A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. We found our way in you know, the examples given of the turtle, I think, who goes through the, the hole in the ice when the pond is frozen over and swims deep and so forth and then has to come back up after a long time. But where's that hole? The pond is big. We found that hole. <laughs> come up and take a breath and live. So we should feel ourselves very, very fortunate and be humbly proud to be humble members of such a lineage and represent it in such a way that the community of Gaudiya people can understand the greatness of Pujapada Sridharmarsh and Srila Prabhupada and their connection. This is really our kind of sovereign uh, duty. We have to set an example such that they can appreciate that, what happened historically, and still then and take advantage of it and through all of you who will be representing that um, combined installment from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's lineage. So, Bhakti Rakshakshi Dadi Goswami Maharaj Ki Jai, Sri Bhakti Sami Prabhupada Ki Jai. Any question? I mentioned we got a chance to be a little more intimate with Sridhar Maharaj. He was very kind, very affectionate, very uh, just generous. The generosity that he embodied was embarrassing. It would embarrass you to, to give up your pettiness, <laughs> small-mindedness, narrow-mindedness. So accommodating, such a harmonizer also, and poetic in his speech. Very different, actually. Prabhupada was many things, but Shidamur uh, was very different. Both things very charming, but it was really um, a great blessing to be in his his company. Yes. Shri Maharaj is affectionate, 
Did it have anything to do with um, the attraction toward him in general? The fact that he was warm and affectionate, it, was that a plus in um, being attracted toward him? Was that a plus? Was it a plus? Was it an added plus? The fact that he was warm and affectionate, was that a good thing, you say? Yeah. Was, was that something that uh, was even more attractive alongside with the philosophy? Was that something that actually transformed? <laughs> well, well, his warmth was well, well, well situated within the philosophy, too. I wouldn't want to separate the two. That's what we call, well, to use the term, bhakti, vedanta, so... He had affection, but it was was well-reasoned love. I think that the, the both things, just if he was just a kind and affectionate person, that would have been one thing. But he was kind and affectionate, and his affection was well-reasoned and deep. So we felt very authorized. Like we were in touch with something very authorized. We were looked at as those of us who took his shelter as being independent rebels and so forth who um, didn't care for authority and just wanted to be independent and so forth from the authorities in ISKCON at the time, but it was really quite different than that. We were thinking, well, we've got a real, real authority here. We want to work under that kind of affectionate authority, of course, as the nature of Krishna, that he's authority by affection's force. There is no more powerful law, or, or I should say, controlling agency than love and affection and charm, right? <laughs> so, what else? Yes? Uh, I really appreciated how in his description of, of his life he talks so frankly. And it's very common nowadays, this is people, um, you know, especially when they become acharyas, they'll talk, you know, talk about their life or people will talk about their life and um, Make it seem, you know, as much as possible that they descended from Golokrindavan. Yeah. Everything will be, you know, <laughs> emphasized. Any negative will be minimized. And um, I really appreciate, you know, that he's not taking that that approach and it's giving like more like a human, you know, look. And I think it really takes a lot to do that. I mean, we also see Bhagavan Chakra did that, but mostly it's it's not. Yeah. He had nothing to hide. I'm sorry? He had nothing to hide. Yeah. Yes. Um, while you were speaking, I, I couldn't help but think about Chaitanya Charitamrita, where Krishnadas Kadaraj at one point describes those who accept Lord Chaitanya, but they didn't accept Lord Nichiren, uh, <laughs> how they, they became condemned. Uh-huh. And how, in one way, this is like Gornitai. I mean, not really. In a sense, they're like two brothers spiritually. Mm-hmm. How can you accept one and not the other? It's interesting that you come up with that because we came up with that. Some of us, some of the followers of Shri many, many years ago, when it was being argued that he shouldn't be. <laughs> so you're in, you're well connected. You're, 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 yeah, that's it's true. Someone doesn't have to. I suppose necessarily, except Chidamarja Sikh Guru, he would of course be the last one to force them to. But I don't know really how they can't. Really, it's very difficult for me to to think of that there could be a good reason. 
we'll go that far and say, yeah, you don't have to accept Sri Maharaj. You have to respect him, obviously, appreciate him. But if you know him, really, what his relationship with Prabhupada was, and you hear his teaching, I really don't know how you, <laughs> you could not. So for me, it's like, no, he didn't get it or something, you know. They didn't have the upgraded chip to be able to compute, you know, what was taking place, what was happening. And I see it, too, that those who didn't embrace that, they seem to be, tend to have a more stunted understanding. At any rate, yeah. So, can't, uh, the, the, the uh, what was it, the, something, hen logic, chicken logic? Half a hen logic. So there was a chicken, and an owner of the chicken, and he used to sell eggs. So from one hole underneath the chicken came eggs, which meant money, in his pocket. And the other hole was a mouth, which he had to put money into. So he thought, hey, well, I'll just cut off the one hole, and I'll just... This is called half-hen logic. <laughs> it doesn't work very well. So, you know, we feel like that. That uh, not, not except Sri Ramar, it's just like the half-hen philosophy. This is what was... Cited, I, it was decided by Kaviraj Goswami, I think in Chaitanya Charitamrita, in relation to um, Miniketana Ramdas's noticing that the brother of Krishna, that's Kaviraj, accepted Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but he had no regard for Nityananda Prabhu. Seeing that Krishna's Kaviraj left home, he walked out in the night, and it was Nityananda Prabhu who came to him and gave him a home in Vrindavan. So to stand up for that, however awkward that may seem. He had, he had to go homeless. He felt, in my house, of my own family, where I'm living, it's become apparent they do not respect Nityananda Prabhu. I'm out of here. And where I will sleep tonight, I don't know. And Nityananda Prabhu came in a dream to him and gave him residence in Vrindavan. And, you know, here we are talking about him. Krishna Gaviraj is big. What he did... This, I mean, that book, Chaitanya Charitamrita, what he's given, that's the biggest book of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. All the teachings of the Goswamis are in there. I mean, what, that book is so in, uh, incredible, what he did for establishing Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And this all with the blessing of Nityananda Prabhu. So, I mean, I had a similar kind of a experience just in relation, relation to Sridhar Marja, because I had heard his... Siksha and so forth became attracted, and those who were under a shelter were not, not allowed in ISKCON. And so I contacted them. They told me to circulate within ISKCON, and you're a well known person, so gradually we'll turn the whole thing over, you know. And they'll understand that Sridhar Mars is who he is, and all these problems for succession will be solved. That's what we thought. And so I was advised circulate around and find openings, you know. And Boy, were we an illusion that was just about to happen, you know, that everyone would embrace Sridhar Maharaj, just, which would seem like, you know, so obvious to us. But at any rate, that didn't happen. And um, another sannyasi, it was apparent to me that I've got to get out of here too. I'm not going to stay in this company. And so I was making my plans to leave. And another sannyasi came to me and he said, you know, you're well known in ISKCON. I mean, you're not like some of these other guys, like Brahmadas, or, you know. Who's <laughs> <laughs> seated right here. I was, I was in ISKCON at that 
Yeah, he was. <laughs> he was already been kicked out. He was already gone. So you can go anywhere. You have a great reputation. Devotees will listen to you. You could be a guru in Iskon. You know, the key of the city is waiting for you here. You know, just be patient. And Sridharmarsh is old, and his his health is not good. He said you could go there, and he could pass away, and all your reputation would be ruined. And so I said, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, God, I got to listen to this. I thought, you know, this is the kind of way you're thinking. You calculate it so mundane. I said, that's not, that's not what I joined this mission for. Nothing like that. I'm going tonight. If this is what it, what it's about, and you know, it was it worked out. I mean, we did have to kind of go with just you know our pajamas as it would be seen, you know, on the street alone. And that the big movement we had to leave that wasn't couldn't appreciate you to march all against us and so forth. And uh, we were trying to do something based on our conviction, and we were uh, we were blessed like Krishna Skaviraj Goswami. Look at where we live, <laughs> such a nice place, so many nice friends, family members. So to develop a sanskar for the, doing the right thing, even when it doesn't look like it will measure up into you know materially rewarding situation, we should we should do that anyway. That would be in our interest. That's how to build a house in a land where there's no death. Alright, we'll stop there. Bhakti Rakshakshira Deva Sami Madhashtira Bhava Matsubhiki Jai. Guru Vaishnav Guru Paramparagi Jai. Gaur Bhaktabindaki Jai. Gaur Premanande.